Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 4 this morning as we begin our, or continue our series, excuse me, on worship heaven style. I want to begin by asking you a question. If, if you were asked to rank in order of importance what you do as an individual and what we do as a church, where would worship fall in that ranking? Where would you place worship? Let me tell you what some people said. Rick Warren, who was author of The Purpose Driven Life, said this. We bring glory to God by worshiping him. Worship is our first responsibility to God. Eugene Peterson, the author of The Message, which is a contemporary paraphrase of the Bible, said this. He said, the most important thing a pastor does is stand in a pulpit every Sunday and say, let us worship God. If that ceases to be the primary thing I do in terms of my energy, my imagination, and, and the way I structure my life, then I no longer function as a pastor. John Piper, who is the author of the book Desiring God, said this about worship. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. All of history is moving toward one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and His Son among all the peoples of the earth. Last week, we began a five-part series looking at worship in heaven because our desire should be to duplicate the submission, the obedience, and the worship that is taking place in heaven today, here on earth today. And the first thing that we discovered as we began our walk through Scripture is this. Worship is first and foremost spiritual. God is a spiritual being, and if we are going to connect with God, we must connect with Him on a spiritual level. So we must be in the Spirit, which means, among other things, that we are born of the Spirit, we are filled with the Spirit, and then we are controlled by the Spirit of God. You see, worship involves our, our mind, it involves our emotions, it Involves our bodies, but worship first and foremost is a spiritual experience. It's not about the, the building that we gather in, the music that we listen to, or the clothes we wear. Worship is when our spirit connects with God's spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, worship isn't a ritual, it's a relationship. And for us to be truly involved in worship... We must have that relationship with God. But today I want us to focus on the second non-negotiable of authentic heavenly worship. And that is this. God has to be on the throne. We will never experience true worship until we understand that God is on the throne. And for some of us, we're not living like he is on the throne. I think it's important for us to read this entire chapter, chapter 4, this morning. So if your Bibles are open, follow along with me. If not, look on the screen. Notice what it says. After this I looked, and, 
And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were, were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings of, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And, and before the throne, there was what looked like a a sea of glass clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were, were four living creatures and, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was, was like a flying eagle. Each of these four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and, and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and, and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And, and by your will they were created and have their being. John sees this, this door open in heaven and he hears a voice calling him to come up. And, and it says he is in the Spirit and he enters into heaven. And immediately, the very first thing that John sees is a throne and someone sitting on that throne. Twelve times in Revelation 4, the Greek word throne is found. Seventeen times in Revelation 4 and 5, that Greek word throne is found. It is clear that the focal point of, of these two chapters is the throne of God. Now what amazes me is every time God allows a human being to get a glimpse of heaven, they see God on the throne. The first time this occurs is in 1 Kings chapter 22. Micaiah is a prophet in a wicked time in Israel's history, and he's giving a vision that God gave him to the wicked king Ahab. And, and this is what Micaiah said. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. The very first time someone was ushered into heaven, what did they see? They saw God seated on his throne. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is in the temple worshiping God. And, and as he is in worship, he has this amazing experience. And verse 1 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord 
seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He saw the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, and, and he was seated on a throne, high and, and lifted up. And then in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel has this experience where, where the heavens open up and he, he gets this glimpse of heaven that, that describes things that, to be honest with you, seem to be beyond our imagination. But in verse 26, Ezekiel says this. He says, above the expanse, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. Again, there in heaven, the central focus above everything else was the throne of God. And finally, in, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has this vision of things that are going to take place. And in verse 9, he says this, As I looked, thrones were set in place in the ancient of days. God himself took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The, the hair of his head was as white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. And its wheels were all ablaze. From the very first time God allowed man to get a glimpse of heaven until the very last time that it is recorded that man saw heaven, the throne was simple or, or central. So here's the bottom line. There is no worship in heaven without God on his throne. But here's the problem. More often than we like to admit, we don't live like God is on the throne. You see, at our very core, we are sinful beings and we desire to sit on the throne. We see this in Satan. Many people say that, that Satan was the leader of worship in heaven. But he wasn't content to lead worship in heaven. He wanted to be the central figure of heaven. And so in Isaiah chapter 14, Satan says this. He said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. And so here is Satan who makes a play for the throne of God. He wanted to sit on the throne. And he was kicked out of heaven. The first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, were in this garden paradise. God was on the throne. But Satan came and, and tempted them. He told them that, that they could be on the throne, that they could be just like God. And they listened to the lie of Satan and they disobeyed God. And when we look in the mirror today, we see the exact same thing that that we saw in Satan. We see the exact same thing that we saw in Adam and Eve. We see a person that wants to sit on the throne. We, we want to call the shots of our life. We want to be in control. We want to get our way. We want to, well, we want to sit on the throne. But we're not on the throne. And so that's the problem. When we desire to be on the throne... 
And yet God is the only one who sits on the throne. We will never worship God until we get that in the proper perspective. And so this morning, what I want to do is share with you four truths that we learn about worship from God on the throne. Here's truth number one. God is the focus of worship, not us. You see, worship is not about me. Worship is not about you. It's it's about the one who sits on the throne. Now, what that means is worship isn't for our benefit. Worship is for God's benefit. If you've ever said, I didn't get anything out of worship today, you totally misunderstood what worship is all about. Worship isn't for your benefit. Worship isn't so that you can get something out of it. Worship is for God's benefit. It's not fundamentally about what you want, what you like, your desires and your preferences. It's not about what pleases you. It's about what pleases the one who sits on the throne. So what that means is this. When we get called up in music styles and and dress and architecture, we are focusing on ourselves and not the one who is on the throne. Now I want you to listen. There's nothing wrong with us having preferences in worship. Uh, That's okay. There's nothing wrong with feeling more comfortable as we worship dressed a certain way. That's all right. Uh, There's nothing wrong with, with enjoying one style of music more than another when you worship. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with, with, with going into one building and, and just feeling this sense of awe because that architecture causes you to focus on the beauty and splendor of God. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with any of that. The problem comes when that begins to drive us. The problem comes when we begin to think that worship is about pleasing us because it's not. You see, the audience of worship is not you. The audience of worship is not me. The audience of worship is God. Uh, Think of it this way. Suppose the president of the United States was coming to visit River Bluff High School. And the choral director, River Bluff High School, wanted to do something special to honor the president. So he gets in touch with their press secretary and, and he wants to know what, what some of the president's favorite songs are. And they respond back and, and let the choral director know what the president's favorite songs are. And so when the president comes to visit... They have this great assembly and the president's there and and the choir of River Bluff High comes together and they begin singing all these songs that the president likes. And and you're in the audience and you're sitting there, well, I don't like that song. That just didn't rock my boat. I didn't like that one. Well, I've got news for you. And this isn't to, to offend you. But they weren't singing those songs for you. 
They were singing those songs for the president. And what we need to understand in a much greater way is this. When we come together, we're not singing for us. When we come together, we're singing for the one who sits on the throne. You see, our consumeristic, me-focused culture has moved the focus off of God and on to us. But, but we don't come to worship to be entertained. The, the truth of the matter is, when we gather together in worship, we are the entertainers. And God is the audience. And so what that means is, every time we gather together corporately, we should get the Sunday morning jitters. I mean, just like a, a football player gets the, the jitters before they go out on the field on Friday night or Saturday afternoon or Sunday. Just like a, a musician will get those jitters before they go on stage before a concert. You and I should should in all honestly, honesty get those jitters when we come together to worship God because we are worshiping for Him. So we lift up holy hands. Why? Because the Bible says that pleases God. We sing as loud as we can. Why? Because that pleases God. We clap our praises to God. Why? Because that pleases God. And so where is your focus when we gather together and worship? Is it on what you desire, what you prefer, what you like? Or do you come in with a clear heart? Desiring just to worship the one who sits on the throne. You see, the focus of worship isn't us. It's the one who is on the throne. Second thing we see about the one who sits on the throne is this. We worship in spite of our circumstances. Every time we see God in heaven, God is seated on the throne. He is always on the throne. Do you know why? The reason is because he is in Control. If there is one thing that the throne of God should do, it should put our mind at ease that God is in control. The one constant that we see throughout human history is God on the throne. Regardless of what is happening on earth, God is seated on the throne. It's not because he doesn't care what is going on in our life. It's not because he's powerless to intervene in the things that are happening here on earth. It's that regardless of how bad it may appear, God's got this. God isn't worried. He's not concerned. You know why? Because he is in control. We have a tendency to want to worship when everything is going our way. But you see, God on the throne reveals that we worship when our world is falling apart. God on the throne reveals that we worship in the good, we worship in the bad, we worship in the uncertain. We worship when the sky is 
falling. We worship when the sun is shining. We worship, why? Because God is on the throne. God is sovereign. And because of that, regardless of what is going on in your life, regardless of what is going on in the world, God is in control. Casting Crowns sings a song entitled Praise You in the Storm. I want you to listen to some of the words. It goes like this, the first verse. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped away our tears, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. As the thunder rolls, I barely hear you whisper through the rain, I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. I'll praise you in the storm and I will lift my hands that you are who you are no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in the storm. You see, regardless of what is happening down here, regardless of what is happening in your life, God is on the throne. God is in control. And that's why Job, even though his life was falling apart, even though God seemed silent, Job could say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's why Habakkuk could say, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. You see, we can praise him in the storm. When we see God on the throne, it lets us know that we worship in spite of our circumstances. But there's a third thing. When we see God on the throne, it reveals to us that that worship, true worship, flows out of a spirit of humility. You see, the throne brings us to our knees in humility before God. Worship flows out of humility. When you enter into the the throne room of Almighty God, you realize something very quickly. He's God and you're not. And let me tell you, when you really come to that realization that He is God... He is the one on the throne. It's not you. That is a humbling thing to realize. You see, worship flows out of a spirit of humility. Hebrews tells us that we may boldly approach the throne of grace. But some people have misunderstood that verse. There's a big difference between boldly approaching because of God's grace and arrogantly approaching because who we think we are. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It was pride that, that caused God to kick Lucifer out of heaven. So what is humility? Humility is not thinking of yourself, thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. 
Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. What that means is this. There's nothing wrong with receiving words of encouragement. There's nothing wrong with receiving words of affirmation. Sometimes we have this idea that that we shouldn't receive those things as a blessing. For instance, a a, a preacher preaches a message that that challenges you or encourages you or convicts you. and, And I mean, it really takes you to the throne of God and and when you go to that pastor and say, I, I just really want you to know that, that God spoke to me today through your message. And, and the pastor says, well, I'm nothing but a poor, wretched sinner. And it just amazes me every day that God could ever say anything through my lips. I, I'm sure that their heart is, is good when they do that. But, but hear me, there's nothing wrong with saying thank you. I'm I'm thankful that God blessed you through the words that he gave me this morning. Nothing wrong with that. Or or someone sings. And I mean, their song, it it drives you to your knees. It lifts you to your hands, raising your your arms and and your hands to God. And you go up to them and, and say, wow. That song you sang this morning really blessed me and and they say, well, never ceases to amaze me because I can't sing on pitch. Can, can I just say to you if, you, if you can't sing on pitch, you're probably not singing up here. <laughs> because that's not the way God's gifted you and God's enabled you. And, and so if, if you bless someone, it, it's okay to receive that. that that's, not, that's not pride. That's not arrogance. That doesn't mean that you don't have humility. You see, humility is when I recognize that every good gift, every perfect gift flows from the throne of God. Humility is when I realize that that everything that I am, everything that I have, it's a a gift from God. And and it doesn't mean that we, we, we make light of the gifts and the abilities that he's given us. It just means that In the end, we know that it all flows back to him. And can I tell you, when you catch a glimpse of God on the throne, it'll drive you to your knees in humility. God on the throne helps us realize that worship is not about us, it's about God. God on the throne helps us understand that we worship in spite of our circumstances. God on the throne helps us understand that worship flows out of a spirit of humility. But finally, God on the throne helps us understand that worship is acknowledging God's rule and God's reign in our lives. You see, the one who sits on the throne rules over heaven and earth, all of creation. And if he rules over all of creation, that means that he should rule and reign over your life. And so worship, first and foremost, is about submitting, about surrendering to the rule of the Lord Jesus in your life. That is the heart of worship. 
Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The Apostle Paul said, Worship is about giving yourself completely to God. But here's the thing. Who wants to step up on the altar and become a sacrifice? Who wants to surrender? Who wants to submit? And yet, listen, if God is on the throne, that is the only wise thing to do. Psalms 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. God rules over everything. He rules over every one. That's why one day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now this is important. Don't miss this. You see, in the end, worship isn't worship unless it causes us to surrender and submit our lives to God's will and God's word. We can sing out to the top of our lungs. We can raise our hands. We can fall to our knees. We can clap as loud as we can. But in the end, if we haven't submitted and surrendered to God's will and God's word, we haven't worshipped. The throne compels us to fall to our knees and repent, to turn from our sin and surrender to him. And so my question to you is this. Have you submitted every area of your life to his will and his word? Have you? Because if you leave here without surrendering, you will not have worshipped. What about your sexuality? Have you surrendered that to his will, his word? How about your finances? Have you surrendered that to his will, his word? What about your relationships and your desire for relationships? Is that surrendered? What about your career? Is every area of your life surrendered to his will and his Word. Because understand, in the end, if I leave here and God's Word tells me one thing and I walk out of here unwilling to surrender to His Word and His will, I have not worshipped. That's why every time we come together, we come to a time of commitment. We come to a time of confession we come to a time of surrender where we say have your way in our lives and so have you done that are you really surrendered to his will and his word Today, 
we can approach the throne of grace. In Hebrews 4 verse 16, it says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace. Today, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we have fallen, we can boldly approach the throne of mercy and grace. Find help. Find hope. But hear me. One day, I believe someday soon, it will no longer be a throne of grace. Hear me. It will be a throne of judgment. In Revelation 20, John says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. You see, today we're living in an age of grace. And God's grace extends to anyone and everyone who will humbly come before him, submitting, surrendering their lives to him, worshiping him as the one who is seated on the throne. But there's coming a day when grace is going to be no more. God's judgment is going to come. And every man and every woman is going to get what they deserved based upon what they have done according to the books of God. Not according to what you think, but according to what God knows. And so are you ready? Are you ready to stand before the throne? Have you approached the throne of grace humbly, asking God to forgive you, surrendering all to him? Because if you haven't, you need to do that today. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes with every head bowed, with every eye closed. I've got two invitations this morning. Here's the first one. If you're here and you've never surrendered to God, you've never humbled yourself before him, approaching the throne of grace, asking for his forgiveness, submitting your life to him, I'm going to encourage you in just a moment to, to pray and give your life to him and begin a life of worship. But second, there are some of you here today who you've made that initial commitment. You've surrendered to him. But somewhere in life, you've gotten off track. There's been a temptation that has come. There's been a situation that has, that has come about. And, and it's caused you to... To no longer surrender to his rule and reign in your life. And you know it. 
You know that you are not surrendered to his will, his rule, his reign. And, and for those of you who are believers today, who are living in disobedience, I want to beg you, I want to plead with you. Humble yourself before your Father, the one who saved you. Turn loose of whatever is holding you back and surrender it all to him today. Now, first, for those who have never approached the throne of grace, asking for salvation, if that's you, pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I know I am a sinner. I am so sorry that I've been living life my way. Forgive me. I don't want to live in rebellion anymore. I'm surrendering my all to you. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose from the grave so that your spirit could come to live in me and set me free. Save me right now. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. I'm giving my all to you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Now, with your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer just then, for the very first time and minute, would you just quickly raise your hand right now? Anyone here? Pray that prayer. Okay, thank you. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're here and and you know that there is an area of your life that is not surrendered to God's rule and God's reign. And you realize today that that is keeping you from worship. And you're willing to ask God's forgiveness in that area and, and to turn that area of your life over to Him. Then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear God. Thank you for saving me. I remember when you did. You changed my life. But Lord, I haven't been living for you. I've been living in rebellion. And you know the area I'm talking about, Father. Please forgive me. I know you want what's best for me. And from this point on, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to surrender everything to you. I'm going to walk in obedience. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for answering me.